Let's get into Luke chapter 18 this morning. We're going to pick up at verse 18, go through the end of the chapter. The title of my message is Learning to Walk with God. Learning to Walk with God. Last week, I really felt like the Lord did something special in our hearts last week. The title of my message last week was Intimacy with God. And and I asked, how many of you want to have an intimate relationship with God? Not just to go to church or, or just read your Bible, but to have really an intimate walk with the Lord. And many of you raised your hands. And I think that is a that is a desire in our hearts to have a, a real personal relationship with God. And it often happens in a moment of crisis where we feel like, Lord, I, I'm really ready to get serious with you. I'm tired of, I'm tired of, tired of back and forth, in and out of, you know, my commitment to you. And I remember in my own life moments where I, where I just had a personal crisis, and I said, Lord, I'm ready to get serious with you. I was 35 years old, and actually the Lord used that time in my life to prepare me for the ministry, and I became the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Portland. Just a few months after that, we left Northern California where we lived, and I thought it was like the end of my life, and really it was the beginning of my life. As exciting as that is to have this this transformational breakthrough with the Lord and to become aware of the presence of God like never before, those moments when you read the Bible and you're thinking, I have never seen this before. Have you ever had that experience? It's like, where has this been? the whole time, and suddenly everything in God's word is alive to you. It makes sense to you. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. And as exciting as that is, we are suddenly faced with some challenges, aren't we? Because it's at that moment where you say, Lord, now I'm really going to be serious. And as you determine to Try harder than ever to walk with God. You suddenly have some new discoveries. Some lessons, some more lessons you have to learn. And if you don't learn these lessons, you will not continue walking with the Lord in an intimate way. Because God is going to throw you into difficult situations that are going to be over your head. He's going to ask you, to trust him for impossible promises. It's not suddenly just easy now that you have a personal, intimate relationship with God. You think, oh, now it's just easy. No. (laughs) Because you're going to be faced with whether or not you are consistently trusting the Lord for this new relationship, this new way that he wants to work with you. And you are going to become more aware than ever before that you have to let go of old ways of thinking, old ways of behaving, 
Have you seen those lessons come up this week? If God got our attention last week, then I believe, number one, he heard our prayer and he answered that prayer. If you ask the Lord to fill you with the spirit, he did it. You don't have to second guess and wonder if anything happened. If you ask, he gives. But I do believe that if that's what you asked this past week, then you were faced with some challenges that probably surprised you. Anybody have that experience this week? Hands? Me. That's the regular experience with the Lord. I shared an illustration last week about um, a story that comes from missionaries that I believe it's in the Philippines when they go hunt for monkeys, they don't have to track down the monkeys. They just put a bottle out with a string attached to one end and it's full of rice and the monkey can put its hand in the opening of the bottle just big enough to get a handful of rice and then with a handful of rice, it can't get its hand back out of the bottle. And when the temptation comes and Satan comes for us, we don't, we're like that monkey. We don't want to let go of the rice and get our hand out and go free. We will stay there and hold on to whatever it is that we love so much. Surprises me you've never heard that illustration before. That is an old, old sermon illustration that comes from missionaries in the field. It's a true story. So the hunter just comes along and knocks the monkey on its head. The kids are having more fun than we are. I love that. So the word to us is let go of the handful of rice or you're going to lose your head. What is it that you love so much that you would give up this intimate relationship with God? Now, you don't lose your salvation, but you can sacrifice an intimate relationship with God, which will be genuinely life-changing. And it's in that intimate relationship with God that God is going to begin from here forward to do some amazing, amazing things in your life. This is the life of faith. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. And it says that four times. Once in the Old Testament, and it's repeated three times in the New Testament. The just, meaning us, who are children of God, we live now by faith. Not by our feelings. Not by our bodily pleasures. Not, there's a lot of other things we could live by. But now we live a life out of trusting in the Lord. We trust in the Lord. Today, we're going to look at some of these lessons that come up that surprise us in learning to walk with God. The first one is in verses 18 to 23, and a surprise lesson that only God is good. In other words, you are going to determine now in this new commitment to be good. And it's going to surprise you that you're not. 
you're not. Is that a shocking revelation? At verse 18, it says, A certain ruler asked him, asked Jesus, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He's saying, What can I do? And so Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but but one, and that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. Now, is that a universal condition to following Jesus? Poverty? Yes or no? No. So don't get sidetracked on that. Here is a man who is very successful in life a rich, young ruler. He's got it all going for him. A rich, young ruler. And he is used to being self-driven, making a plan, and accomplishing what he sets out to accomplish. And so in his mind, I can do something to gain eternal life. This is his, has been his whole way of living. He is successful. Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And I like what Jesus asks him in return. Now, we all have issues to work out, and it's easy to find some character like this in the Bible and just rag on him, right? Look at this loser. What I would never, ever be like that. You know, we're all like this. We're all like this in some way even if I'm not exactly like this. And the Lord knows we're trying to figure it out. Maybe we have a right heart, maybe we don't. But in helping us figure it out, do you know God asks us questions? Adam, where are you? And he asks him, why do you call me good? Why did you just now call me good? You know, uh, I coach pastors. I talk to pastors around the country, helping them to learn how to do ministry. And the most powerful thing I can do to help young pastors is to ask them questions. Because they're stuck in a certain way of thinking. And if I just tell them what to do, they're not going to get it. So I ask questions. Why do you call me good? The implication is, if you're calling me good, you're calling me God. That's what Jesus says. There is no one good except God. Now, what does good mean? Good to us means I am, I'm, there are some people who are generally better than others. This person is a good person. This person's a bad person. In God's eyes, good means what? Perfect. And so we have a saying, 
well, there's no one that's perfect, and somehow that makes it okay that I blow it in some areas of my life. No one's perfect. From a spiritual view, from heaven's view, good means not I'm better than others, but good means perfect. And so Jesus is helping this guy understand, what do you even mean when you call me good? Do you realize what you're saying? There is no one good except God. This is a very scripture I go to when I'm talking to, say, Jehovah's Witnesses who want to deny the deity of Christ. And I'll say, this man called Jesus good, and Jesus responded, why are you calling me good? Did Jesus say, don't call me good? No, he just said, why are you calling me good? So Jesus himself is even saying, if you're calling me good, you're calling me God. For all of your friends that say Jesus never claimed to be God, he did right here in Luke 18. So then Jesus goes the, the next step. You know the commandments. Have you kept them? And the man says, yes, I have kept all of them. Now, to the Jewish mind, he means he's kept them outwardly. Really, the commandments are meant to govern the heart, not merely our outward behavior. And Jesus points to the one thing now, here's a question. Why did Jesus point to his money? Not because it was wrong to have money. If you have money, good for you. Great. I, I paused right at the right time there. Because Jesus knew the one thing that this man loved more than God was his money. I, I am not wealthy. Do you know that? Look at my clothes. Amazon, Costco. You're smiling at me like you know. Driving a Honda Civic out there. It's not a trick to make you think I don't have money. I have known people with money who dress just like this just to trick everybody. And then you suddenly find out they have, they have boatloads of money. This man had money. He loved that money more than anything. And so Jesus is trying to help him get the very thing he wants, eternal life. And so he says, go and sell all that you have, give it to the poor and come and follow me. And he couldn't do that. And he walked away. The purpose of the law, and when we say the law, I'm meaning the Ten Commandments, but it's more than that. But if we even say just the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses, they are perfect. They are intended not to be followed and then achieve eternal life. They're intended to be a measuring stick, a standard by which man can measure himself and discover what? 
that he's not perfect. Because you think, I'm pretty good. I'm better than you. As long as I'm better than you, then I'm doing pretty good. That's how we measure ourselves. If If I look better than that guy, then I feel good about myself. And if I do more good works than bad works, then probably God accepts me. But you see, God only accepts perfection for those to be in fellowship with him. Because God who is holy does not have fellowship with sinful man. And that's a problem, isn't it? God who so loves the world cannot have fellowship with those that he loves because of sin. That is a problem. And nobody, by their own effort, can remedy this problem. There is nothing that any human can do to fix the problem of sin and get back into fellowship with God as much as he wants to. If he had the most sincere desire and right motive of the heart, it doesn't matter. There is nothing he can do. Why? Because God only accepts perfection. And even if from here forward he could be perfect, that doesn't deal with the problem of past sin. You get a traffic ticket and stand in front of the judge and say, Judge, I'm sorry I did this. I promise I will never, ever speed again. Are you telling the truth? Probably not. But let's say for the sake of the argument, you're telling the truth, and from here forward, you would never, ever speed again. He would say, great, but that doesn't pay the penalty for your past violations. And so people say, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to present my case, and I've done these good works, And universally, the world's religions are about man's accomplishments to offset his failures. God, who is the judge, says, great, let's talk about your past sins. Even though you've done these good things, and the old sermon, or great sermon illustration of this is, you get the traffic ticket, stand in front of the judge, the judge is your father. And you say, Dad, Dad, can't you let me go? If he lets you go, he is not upholding the law. He would be an unholy judge. He carries out the sentence and says, here's the penalty for what you have done. He has to do that because he is just. But if you can't pay the fine, you either go to jail or you pay the fine, or what's the third option? Somebody else pays the fine for you. But your judge, the judge, your dad, passes the sentence, comes down off the bench, pays the fine for you, and you go free. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God is both just and the justifier. When you determine I am finally going to live 
and intimate relationship with God, you will come face to face with the reality that you are not good. By your own efforts, things in your own heart are going to come out that you've never seen before. That is the purpose of the law. Paul said in Romans 7 that he didn't even know it was wrong to covet until he heard the commandment that said, thou shalt not covet. And they said, all of a sudden, it was, re- it was revealed in me. It was revived in me. And, and it's just the same as you and I walking down the street and you see a sign on the grass that says, don't walk on the grass. What's the first thing you want to do? Tell the truth. If it's one foot, I, I want to step on that grass. That is our true human nature. We're not even aware that we're so rebellious. And it's when we hear the word say, don't do this, it is brought up in us. And so here's what we do. We, well, it's the word of God's fault. I didn't feel that way until I heard the law say, don't know, it's not the word's fault. It's not God's fault that you wanted to do something wrong. God only revealed what was already there. Amen? So as you come close to God, you are going to determine to be a better person, and you're going to come face to face with the reality that you are not. Get over it. So how do you deal with this? You allow God to work in your heart to transform you into a new person. It is his doing, not your doing. And he will do this. I know that I'm not the same person I used to be. Don't say amen. How God does it, I don't know. But just stay there in that relationship with the Lord. And by the Spirit of God, you are being transformed into the image of Christ. This is Romans 8.29. You all know Romans 8.28, that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and who are the called according to his purpose. So when all of this chaos is going on in your life, things that you can't deal with, emotions you can't deal with, God is able to use it for his glory and for your good. The conditions are, one, that you love him. Two, that you want his purposes in your life. What is his purpose? It's Romans 8.29, to be conformed to the image of his son. First lesson Only God is good, so stop trying to prove you're not so bad. Just relax. When things come up, you go, there it is. Lord, would you forgive me? Take that away from me. Second lesson, verses 24 to 30. With God, all things are possible. And this is a great second lesson after discovering how how lame we are amen when jesus saw saw that he became very 
saw that he became very sorrowful. He said, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, who then can be saved? But he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, see, we've left all and followed you. And so he said to them, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or sisters for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. Still following on this rich man who walks away and Jesus says, it's hard for a rich man to enter the uh, enter into the kingdom of God. It would be easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Now, many preachers have tried to figure out what this means. Is it a small gate that enters into a city? But the word for needle is actually a literal sewing needle with an eye in it. And you say, well, that's ridiculous. Yeah, that is ridiculous. That is the Jewish style of teaching to make a point by this ridiculous contrast. That's impossible. Exactly. It is impossible for a rich man who is trusting in his own riches to get into the kingdom of God. You, how simple is that? But with God, all things are possible. So they said, they got it. And so that's impossible. So someone said, how then can we enter the kingdom of, how is this even possible? If you and I can't do anything, if this successful man can't do anything. And what I love about this is it puts us all equal before God. I love that about the gospel. The poor homeless man or Phil Knight. That just reminded me once I was in Beaverton. I went over for lunch at uh, Cedar Hill Shopping Center, Taco Bell there. I don't eat it very much, but I had Taco Bell. There was only two people in the dining room at Taco Bell. Me, and you'd never guess who was the only other person sitting there we were having. I like to tell people I had lunch with Phil Knight at Taco Bell because it was near Nike over there. In the kingdom of God, you and I, no matter what, no matter what our successes or failures are, we are exactly the same before God. Poor or rich, smart or dumb, we can all have simple faith that accesses the saving grace of Jesus Christ. People will say, well, you Christians, you're so narrow-minded. You make it so hard. No, actually, this is the simplest of all. God says here, I have a gift, and you say, thank you, I receive it. It's so simple. 
that even a child can enter into the kingdom of God. And so what is impossible with man is possible with God. Why? Because he does all of it. Your part is simply to say, thank you. Peter responds, well, we've given up everything to follow you. And the Lord might ask some of you to give up things. It's amazed me over our years of being in the ministry, how much the Lord has given to us. We never made very much money. I never made a high salary. I didn't pastor a big church. And yet I can tell you of all of the things that God has provided for us. Free cars, free vacations, trips to Hawaii, timeshares, things that I could never afford. And yet people will come along and say, here, we'd like to give this to you and Catherine, to you and your family. At a time when I needed a vacation, some would say, here, we have an extra week at our timeshare in Newport Beach. We had really good friends that owned these vacation uh, homes in Balboa in Newport Beach, down in the peninsula. He charged $4,000 a week, and he would let us use it for free. That was his ministry. See, that was his ministry. He knew he had this, this special blessing, and pastors could not, pastors can't afford vacations. Do you know that? They need vacations because they get a little loopy when they have, haven't had enough rest time. And this man saw it as his ministry to give pastors free vacations. If they weren't rented out, if his units weren't rented out, then we could go stay for free. The Lord has saved us over the years, and that's why we're still standing. Whatever you think you give up for the Lord, he repays. So just calm down. Okay, that's my spiritual advice. Just calm down. There's no boasting about what you have done for God. The third lesson before my worship team comes up, I know you're almost ready to come up. Verses 31 to 43, you must learn this, that God's word is true and reliable. God's word is true and reliable. Verse 31, then he took the 12 aside and said to them, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the son of man will be accomplished. Do you hear that? Everything that was written in the Old Testament about me, it will be accomplished for he will be delivered to the Gentiles and be mocked, and insulted, and spit upon. They will scourge him, and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. Do you hear how specific that is? It's not this vague general prophecy of, there's going to be people against me sometime in the near future. No, it is so specific that if any part of this does not come true, do you know that would make Jesus a false prophet? He hangs everything of his credibility on this detailed prediction. 
And there are hundreds of these in the Bible. The disciples don't really understand what's going to happen yet. They're even still fully learning who he is. But as they go through this event of the the betrayal, the crucifixion, the resurrection, this is going to be a major crisis for them. And they're going to come out the other side with this resolve, with this clarity that they can absolutely believe everything that is written in the word. Jesus will appear after the resurrection and said, and say, don't you remember everything I told you before? You and I hear things in the word and we don't get it. And at some point the light goes on and you have to get to that point where you go, this really is the word of God. Not it might be, not it's full of good advice. Not I'll go search it out when I get in trouble, but it's every day. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Moses said that to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy after 40 years in the wilderness. And he wanted them to know the only reason you're standing here is not just because God provided manna in the wilderness every day. Yes, God did that. But God sustained you by his word. God sustains us by his word. These lessons, I hope you are learning. So much more I want to share this morning. Worship team, you can come up. But here's a newsflash. The world is going through a change. There is so much going on. It is such a radical transformation of the world. Just go down the list of the news items. Aside from corona, vaccines, open borders, economic crisis, energy shortage, inflation, they are worldwide issues. Along with that, the moral issues of trying to redefine gender and and on all that whole mess. It's being pushed, pushed with such a fervency more than I've ever seen before. Do you see that? That's what I want you to see. It's It's not just that the world is becoming more open or more immoral. These agendas are being pushed in our face every day like never before. So much that many preachers and prophecy teachers are seeing things really come to a head of the great globalism. The World Economic Forum is saying this is, this is our opportunity. Maybe you've heard the phrase, the Great Reset. I'm starting a whole new message at the end of my message. I understand. All of Jackie says it's okay, so I'm going to go for another hour. All of this to say that we don't know where this is going. Ultimately, we know 
in the end times, times are going to get worse. And if your heart is not set on the Lord, you're not going to make it. That's what I want you to know. What if the economy collapses? What if there's food shortages? What if, what if all these things? There's movements of Russia, Iran. Mike Pompeo, you might know that name, spoke at a Calvary Chapel recently and shared that during COVID, the CIA noticed an unusual spike in internet activity of materials being downloaded on the internet. An unusual spike in activity. They researched it and discovered that in Iran, Iranians were accessing Bible study materials. So much that it spiked the internet traffic. Did you know there's been revivals going on in India, Russia, Iran, and other countries over the last 20 years? Did you know that? What do you think God would be doing right before all hell breaks loose as it is in the Great Tribulation in the book of Revelation? He is going to save as many as possible. Did you know that's what's happening? Well, we're all distracted with the price of gas God is saving people out of this world. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. This is a whole other message, but prepare for things to get worse, I think. And more than ever, we need to be walking with the Lord and trusting him. Because people around us, your family, your co-workers, need to see what it looks like for somebody in the middle of a troubled world to trust God. Can you do that? Amen? Not all of you are saying amen. Let me hear amen. There you are. Be Pentecostal here at the end. <laughs> Let's stand together. I want so much for what God has been doing in our church to continue. What you heard from the Lord last week and the week before, keep going. And so today, just be genuine and transparent before the Lord. Just, just ask the Lord for help. And when the Lord kind of shines the light, the light on some area of your heart that is keeping you from trusting him like the man in his riches. Don't walk away. Remember the, the monkey with his hand in the jar. Let go of the rice. And whatever you give up that's so important, remember the Lord promises to replace it, to provide for you. And what we know is we can believe his word. As we close in this last song, this is your opportunity to respond to the Lord. Whether you're in your seat or you ask somebody nearby you in the congregation to pray for you or you come forward and the prayer team is up here up front, just ask the Lord to help you right now. <laughs>